Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Review Crew. Uh, it's where No Presidium's writers and editors gather to chat about the shows that they've seen that week. Um, we got a good crew today, so we'll kick it off with No Pro's founder and editor. Oh, that's me. I'm Noah Nelson. We also have our executive editor. Hello, this is Catherine Yu. And then our Chicago curator. Hi everyone, it's Patrick McLean. All right, so we're just going to dive right into it today because it's that kind of day. So I think uh, Noah's going to kick it off with his adventure to San Diego. Oh, I thought we were going to start with Patrick. So it could be Patrick, me, and then Catherine because Patrick and Catherine are going <laughs> to just, just, just kidding. Patrick's going to kick it off with his adventures in uh, remote escapes. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, everyone just skip over that. Yeah, so I'm excited to kind of talk about an interesting experience I had recently. Uh, we were invited uh, to do a online escape room through Mobile Escapes. And I first just really quickly want to talk about their business model in the sense that they are a um, portable escape room business. Like they bring locks and puzzles and, uh, you know, things to solve and and riddles to parse through to you like they set up an escape room in whatever environment so you know for like corporate events but then also classrooms maybe private parties and stuff like that which uh, i don't know about any of you that's kind of the first time i've ever heard of such a kind of business model and people doing stuff like that but um they have you know with the pandemic most likely have made a shift online uh to creating escape room experiences for that space and we were invited to attend uh one of their first ones i believe which is once in a blue moon which is a mysterious event in uh horror where it's halloween and you and a group of your friends have all received mysterious letters to investigate this house on the block and lo and behold every room is uh is a puzzle that requires you to solve it to continue onwards um until you ultimately reach the narrative end of exploring the house um Beyond that, what's really kind of a note of interesting with this experience is that this is a completely self-automated web-based experience. So we were provided a link to uh, take part in the experience and do it as a group. There was no requirement uh, for Zoom in the sense that they weren't going to like have to host us. We were asked and told like you make sure you have an audio platform or a Zoom like platform of your own, but you know you could use FaceTime, whatever, so everyone can be in communication. And one of the players takes on the role of kind of like the main web page where they can hit like a I need a hint button if you get stuck on a puzzle where everyone else is just kind of on the standard puzzle page and just sees the puzzle and can parse through it but it's mostly whoever is in like the lead position who has the timer associated with their web page and is going through everything one step of the way and as i think i briefly mentioned there is no web uh in this website there is no game host there's no master there's no one you radio for help or anything you're completely totally on your own uh other than the hint system the automatic hint system that's in place as you kind of parse through it and that's kind of the high level gist of it all so how did how did it actually like play with with the small group that you you did it with 
Uh, the actual playing with players, it worked really well. I think the strength of this um, experience with this escape room is that all you need is um, a, access to, you know, ideally, most likely a large monitor or screen. It's probably not best to do it on your phone, but you just simply get the link. The link is live for five hours. You can just verbally communicate uh, luckily, because there is no live element or anything, all the images and things is standardized. We're all looking at the same things. I, I know, I think everyone here has more or less done a escape room where there's like an, a, an online escape room where there's an avatar who is moving a camera, or we're doing it in some kind of hybrid experience where maybe we have someone on the ground, but we're all on our computers doing something else. And I think the real strength of this piece was that the uniformity in the experience. I know sometimes people might hear that and be like, oh, that's, I don't like my art or my escape rooms to be uniform, but it really allowed us to collaboratively work together. Cause I feel like, you know, when you do an escape room in person, when everyone's in the space, it's so easy to start working at cross direction, right? Like, you know, everyone's shouting and uh running around and like going is this part of this puzzle is this part of this puzzle maybe are they related no they're not and you're just all turned around and i really appreciated the uh forward motion and the ability to collectively work on the same puzzle i would also say um on that note this is a really great experience for the family i feel like sometimes we don't get invited to or we're not always attending or kind of promoting some of these experiences where you you know uh, there's just some this you know i think about uh, haunt seasons around the corner it's like not a lot of family friendly shows there uh but this is something that the puzzles typically involved like bugs or stars or lasers or really fun like elementary school level kind of imagery or text that I thought really could engage the whole family. Like it was challenging enough for adults, but like clearly like kids would feel like geniuses when they cracked some of these puzzles. So I want to, I want to go back to the interface for a second. Is it almost like in like an, an old point and click adventure or is it, is it something yeah, else? Yeah, I think that's a, yeah, I think that's a really great uh, comparison of it because, you know, there's like you're walking like there's a like six images of a hallway uh, with graffiti and you see like the instructions are like and you see a button. Do you press it and you can click the button and then on those images like a little laser dot appears highlighting spoilers by the way everyone oops uh, a letter um it's one of one of the puzzles uh and it, it, you know it allows you to do it like that so definitely there's there's not even now that i think about it, i don't think there's even like a video to it it's definitely you just open the web page you point and click it's definitely retro i would say in that way it, it, in a good comfortable and well done way you know uh, did it ever? Did it ever feel like you were just in like full pixel hunt mode? No, luckily, okay, th that, thank that's, God. that's yeah, because that's where the family element. Whether whether you know some people might do this and find this experience a little too childish in the sense of like you know there's a puzzle there's a puzzle that involves colors and mixing colors, uh, and you know for I presume for most you know adults and things and listening to that, uh, you know 
color you mix you mix red and blue you get this and things like that so uh, that's what made it easy is that what was a clue and what was needed to be solved was always very obvious because of the all ages appropriate content of it all so yeah it wasn't like i was trying to find out which letter in the graffiti and like clicking every little detail every little cursive line or block of text to make sure i was doing it so that was definitely the real strengths of it for sure yeah thank the gods because i've 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 been in a couple of online escape room things that were that were pixel hunts and i mean the only person who loves a pixel hunt is its creator so (laughs) and for for those who aren't familiar can you can you talk about like what a pixel hunt is and why it's super annoying uh, a, pix- a pixel hunt, so it's a technical term, I guess it's a technical term in, in video game and video game design where, you know, you're looking at, you're looking at an image and you're, you're, you're looking for one thing in the image. So think about it's, it's where's Waldo, right? Like functionally it's, it's where's Waldo. You're, you're trying to match an image or you're trying to like get something that is, there's, there's a couple different ways that a pixel hunt can manifest, but essentially you're just looking at a screen and trying to find the place on the screen that's interactive um, or that holds like the proper clue uh, or that is like the missing thing. And it's, it's just a spot, the difference type game or puzzle. Like there's, there's not much to it, but they can be really obnoxious and they're, they're often, they're often really good to slowing down the process. They're really sort of gating, uh, you know, it's it's padding. You're you're padding. Half the time a pixel hunt is a pad for time. Oh yeah, for sure. It's like the opposite. So like, like in a good three dimensional video game, if someone, the designer, wants you to notice an object or a door or a portal, it might glow or have a sound, something to draw your attention to it, so you don't have to go hunting for it. Pixel hunting is the opposite of that. <laughs> And and Patrick, you mentioned this was like a Halloween themed game. Did I get that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, but it, it seems to be available. Uh, I'm looking at the website right now. It's it's available generally. It seems all year round. So maybe, uh, you know, don't 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 feel like if you're listening to this six months from now, uh, for whatever reason you are here, listener. Thank you. I guess. Ah. Uh, you can still go revisit this uh, as of right now of the recording that it's up on the website and available for people to check out. Um, well, I, if there's I anyone that wants to experience to pivot, Halloween year round, it's it's probably our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. We, we do love a, a Halloween thing. I would say the only uh, criticism I have of the experience, which I think this might be be opening a can of worms, but I think it's a kind of interesting discussion that we sometimes don't talk about is the practical business sense of it. This is an experience that um, at the end of it, you know, they show you how long it takes to get it done. And it's uh, generally, it seems most groups or people are escaping this room within 31 minutes. That was kind of the number that seemed to repeat itself at the end of the experience on the website. So you could compare, you know, the leaderboard, right? right? See how everyone else did. Um, and what's really interesting is that the the pay model for this experience is essentially fifteen dollars per person. And this really got me and the other correspondents thinking about this because 
in many ways, and I mentioned this in my review, is that for a family of four, that's a, a $60 experience before Ooh. taxes that only lasts mm-hmm. 30 minutes and that there is no, there's, there was no other person uh, managing us. There wasn't like a performer. There wasn't like, maybe there's someone on call just in case of bizarre emergencies and things and stuff like that. But it, it, it did strike us as a very kind of perplexing mystery, like almost like the, the final puzzle we couldn't solve in that sense of uh, to a certain degree, uh, you know, we and I know we've encountered this in the past with a lot of the Zoom experiences we've seen where people are sometimes like per person, per screen. It's just a flat rate. If you have eight people that you're currently in quarantine with all eight of the, you know, we would appreciate a donation. But technically, you know, you just all eight people can attend. So it, it really kind of raises this question, because I, I think, as I said, this is a great all ages experience. But already, you know, as I said, for a family of four, it's sixty dollars for thirty minutes. It's just like, why wouldn't you not, you know, turn on YouTube for the kids and just well, leave them? Well, also, I mean, how do they? Or, I'm sorry, I must have missed something. How do they enforce that? Is it like because well, you said because uh, it's unfor- like. Go ahead. Sorry. No. <laughs> you. 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 <laughs> uh, this is a professional podcaster here. That's who I am. Um. Yeah, so I, I, I've, unfortunately, I'm a little unclear about how they do that as we were invited as the guests. But typically, from what I understand from the email that we received, no proceeding received, is that the purchaser uh, gets the email. And to be clear, actually, to go step back further, on the website right now that I'm looking at is that you denote how many people are going to be playing in advance. So right now I can select anywhere from two to 20 players for right. this experience. And you get, and you would get two to 20 links. Well, that's where I'm a little confused. Cause I, you know, without going through their website, because I think what happens is, is that the purchaser most likely gets one email with two links. One link is like, you're the leader. You're the one who you click start. The timer starts. If you need a hint, you ask for a hint. And then there's a second link in that email that seems to be the one that is you're supposed to share with all of their party members. No matter where they are. Exactly. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, it, and it's 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 not like and I it's it's like it's just kind of an interesting conundrum in the sense of like the 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 new frontier, you know, I think the escape room industry in particular but all of us and a lot of live entertainment experiences find us in in that having to revalue our experiences uh the the cost of our experiences in the online market space and it also sounds like a little bit like they're operating on the honor system a little bit right which, i mean maybe yeah, maybe maybe there's something where they're reading IP addresses and if two IP addresses are lo- trying to log in or like they have, there could be something where like they're, they're reading their screens, but if, if, if they're not watching you and you have a family of four around one screen, how would they know you could just buy one ticket? I'm not encouraging everyone to go and scam people. And in some ways, like this does open a can of worms. Cause like, uh, Oh, I've never said Jared's name. Uh, I've never said Jared's last name, and I don't have it right in front of me. But like, there's there's a creator who's done some stuff, and he's also, you know, pretty pretty vocal. Um, so it's uh, Jared 
Mazochi? Catherine, do you know how to, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Um, did a piece for the Geffen Stayhouse that we reviewed. I believe Aja had the review, kind yeah. of like a ghost story. So yeah, yeah it's very, very much um, kind of beating the online digital theater is real theater drama. Yeah. So Jared's out there often doing that. And we had a little like back and forth today about, and we weren't like in like hyper disagreement, right? But like we had a little bit of back and forth today on Twitter about, you know, these different business models. Like how does a theater person, you know, do it? And like we talked a little bit about boxes and like that's one way to scale. Cause like, you know, I think, I think I was responding to something he said about how yeah, so he's like, today's New York Times, Geffen Playhouse Artistic Director Matt Shackman speaks about drop-off of ticket sales once World reopened, which is true insofar as tickets purchase, but ticks were per Zoom Square. As I performed during reopening process, Zoom Squares filled with large gatherings. So the question becomes, all right, so it's a, it's the, the, the ticket buying went down, but the number of people, according to Jared, seemed to stay steady. And they're not asking people to like operate on the honor system. So then like, how do you monetize it? And one option is, well, you can send a box. Like if you send a physical goods out, then, you know, if it's, if it's snacks, then, you know, you got to get snacks for X number of people. Of course, you know, not everyone wants to do that kind of thing, but this one you're talking about, it, it kind of really feels like if you're a family of four who doesn't want to spend $60, then maybe you just spend twenty dollars and just <laughs> gather around, gather around mom's laptop, and you know, pray that they're not using spyware on you. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 and it, what's it, it's a really great experience because, in that sense, like I bring it up more so to maybe put it, try to put a cap on the specific experience. Is that this is a really great experience, and I really want people to do it and families to do it but i don't want them to be scared off whether you know hopefully as we said everyone is being honor is being honorable and is doing the right thing and if this is how they wish to price their experience mobile escape games if this is what they want to do then by all means i i'm happy to adhere to it and help enforce it but i i fear that you know a family of six uh, that's you know that's a pretty it's 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 it begins to add up very very quickly and I would hate for people to be dissuaded dissuaded from doing this escape room that is so great for families in all ages just because of the price. Yeah, I think there's also. Oh, Kevin, did you have something? No, I, my mic it just keeps tripping. Okay, I don't know why. I <laughs> I I also think there's something here like you know just today the news hit that. You know, Disney is getting rid of the Max Pass and the Fast Passes and replacing it with like, you know, D- Disney Genie and app with Disney Genie Plus because everything has to have a plus now. And that with Disney Genie Plus, you're going to be able to pay for additional Fast Passes, I guess, or pay for Fast Pass access. And then on top of that, certain rides will have like, additional cost if you want a fast pass uh which just feels like they're gonna hit you for every dollar they can and and granted like there's already like this is kind of standard in the theme park world you know the the buy the fast pass cut the line thing but like disney's never done this before and so people are really not happy about it 
and indeed the like pay for individual like for me like the line was sort of like oh you need to pay like pay 20 bucks and you can use fast pass it's like okay whatever fine pay 20 bucks and you can use fast pass except for like radiator springs where we want another five dollars and it's like yo hold on wait a second here like that's so complicated complicated and it feels a little bit of like a bridge too far particularly when you know but on the flip side right like we often have trouble articulating for folks when there is an actor involved like the value of well why should this be a 200 dollars ticket for a show and it's like well you're getting a full performance like you're getting someone's attention in their time and it just it strikes me as weird when it's something where when something's sunk cost to have there be like this sort of exponential curve based on the number of people who can go do it versus, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, you're, you're, the more people who are doing an experience together, the more diffuse the value is, right? Like if, if six of us go do an escape room together and we pay $100 total, then, right, we divide that up. Or let's, let me, six of us, say the four of us go to an escape room. We each put 25 bucks in, right? And we have mm-hmm. that $100 escape room. Now, if we get two other people, we're each going to pay less, but we each get to do less, right? And that, that I don't know, that seems fair to me, right? No, like, it, and it does. Getting... I mean, where you, you kind of pay a premium for a better experience. Because, I mean, you run into escape rooms all the time. So you go with too many people or you go with someone that's like a pro, you pay in and then your experience is like you kind of just stand there in the corner trying to solve one puzzle everyone like races around solving it and there's not enough to do um, yeah we're not talking about anyone here today <laughs> kevin i have done rooms with you come on <laughs> I, was, I was i was thinking of someone outing else himself. actually he's out himself. okay no, okay no. like i no. legit we lost we lost kevin and kevin's partner for i don't know like 40 minutes at stash house completely different parts of the room and it was like hey where have you been for the last hour oh i was doing x y and z and my husband and i were like we saw none of that cool <laughs> like Which, please I know tell us about well, the wacky shit you did yeah well i, I know that sasha is not when you're like supposed to go back to but i felt like i could have we could have gone back into like switched paths there and still uh gotten a good experience which is also why if you're in la you should check out stash house whatever it is uh oh yeah for sure <laughs> yeah always Great. always a good recommendation there yeah but like but 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 to the point we're making here right like you know you you know you're getting less of an experience but you're also paying less right when it's like the one group ticket yeah. right and that's that's fair right um this whole idea of like it's everyone pays the same amount and, it, and and they don't care how many people go through that just feels like you're you're just diluting your own experience like why why would you ever do this with tw- actually patrick it, it, can you think of a use case where you would do this with like 20 i know we're fixated on this one and we're just kind of talking about the bigger one but like can you think of a use case where like oh yeah this is totally worth it to do with 20 people well this experience i can't think of any experience including this one because i would even say that because this was also more all ages appropriate uh some of us in the group would solve a a puzzle very quickly right like less i i solved one in less than a minute 
but then you know mm. the uh, the other players were still behind but it's like am i just gonna be a dick and just be like oh put this in and then let's just move on <laughs> to the next room or should i allow them as we're talking about to have that experience just because i unfortunately for this one was able to piece together the two plus the two equals the four to get us moving along doesn't mean i don't want them to not take note of like the details to parse it out and things like that so like i i think you've really tapped into something where it's like being very cognizant of who you're playing with does affect that dollar amount too and and managing that because i guess to that point uh if if like as we said, like 20 players played this game and I was slow on the draw for all of the puzzles. What did I really pay for? Other than, other than to like to have someone tell me a code to put it on to continue to the next web page. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the mechanics of the game itself too, right? Like I've been to stuff where you really needed six people to all be doing something at the same time. Eight people linking hands is like a classic escape room thing. Um, even like some live action games where you need to divide and conquer or it's just not as fun if you're not competing with like 10 or 12 other people. So yeah, but it, I, yeah, it I, depends I, on the design. I, I feel like there's been though very few, on, personally, very few online escape rooms I've encountered where we're all not working on the same puzzle mm-hmm. in that same sense too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like Kevin, you and I have done a yeah. series of ones together and I feel like it's, sometimes there's like, it, it three things are required for the solution, but it's all together still. They're all tangentially still related. It's not like right. you solve one of those three things, you get to skip ahead. You got to do one, two, three to then go on to the next big hurdle. Well, that's always, I think, it's one of the challenges of the virtual ones, too. It's like you can't have, like, you and I can't split off to work on one puzzle, and no, and Catherine can't split off to work on another puzzle because we're all sharing the same mic line. So it's like we're talking over each other, so we got to do solve this one even if like other people are like kind of working on pieces of it and then solve the next one um and i know we've run into that like a a couple times and stuff we've done where it's like like you've been doing like kind of one thing while blake's like kind of doing one thing and i'm kind of doing another thing but when it comes to it then it's like your piece is just going to be you blake's piece is just going to be him and my piece is just going to be me too because it's hard to kind of get that interaction um in some of those other ones I guess I just haven't done enough of these things. I'm sort of surprised that there's so many of these problems. Cause like, I'm just sitting here going like, can't they just spin up some discords for people? <laughs> they <laughs> like, could, they yeah, don't. I mean, some, yeah. that's why some people are doing things on Topia or like, I know jury duty and the inquest both have like breakout rooms. So you can yeah. go like interrogate the actor and then come back and report back. And then based upon the information that like Ed got, like me and Laura and, and Leah were able to like solve a different thing and like, Hey, let's go send Chris to talk to the actor. And so, and uh, uh, of course there's always stuff that's more like little cinema or eschaton, right. Where that yeah. they have designed the moving between rooms. I just well, zoom is well, hard. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, when, when little cinema did the activate and we've been on this for like a long time, so we probably like move forward soon, but like little, little cinema did the, um, you know, without remorse, escape game thing uh you know they had the wild optimist design it and they had like two thousand people in the chat like sort of twitch plays pokemon style doing the thing 
So, and it's like pure chaos. It was chaos when they were thinking there was like 40 of us in a play test and it was raw chaos. I can't even imagine 2000, but like, I don't know. We're, we're 18 months into our sojourn in hell and it's never going to end. So I don't know why people haven't figured some of this stuff out yet. Right. It's I like, mean, come on. Like, well, I don't. The perfect amount of people from Among Us is like eight to 10. Right. And I don't always I don't think it is, it is it, it is a negative. Like, I don't know. I've had a lot of fun on the games we've, we've done, even though I just kind of like described it that way. Um, I, there's still good times. And I think it's as Patrick's brought up a bunch of times on this show is it's, I wouldn't normally get to do an escape room with Patrick and Blake. So it's like kind of that trade off in terms of maybe it's not, it's a little kind of odd, not how you want to play an escape room, but it, it provides a different experience, which is cool. And it's, it's fun to play with different people like that. Even if it's not like oh, yeah. quite the same. I never have to rooms. decipher anything. I just give it to Blake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I liked Kevin your example where it's like Blake's off doing his thing. Blake isn't off doing his own thing. He looks at something and he solves it instantaneously. <laughs> I, was, I was trying it's to so be like, useful. let's just solve the entire it. room. But yes, Blake is uh, very good at escape rooms. Yeah, yeah. He, he looks at something. The four-dimensional puzzle like uh, folds itself in on itself. Oh, yeah, no, he, he gets uh, the Doctor yeah. Strange look on his face yeah yeah (laughs) which is why he's in medical school um so (laughs) okay so there's a one in four thousand ninety two chance okay 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 okay. all right we are literally at the half hour mark uh we're at the half hour mark we've done one topic so far this week (laughs) now now we're gonna jump back to uh noah's adventure to uh san diego then yes uh the the entire the adventure the whole trip took about eight hours of the day, but, uh, we went down there. Uh, so myself and, and I carpooled down with Landon Zakheim of the Overlook, um, uh, who had never been to without walls. Um, without walls is a, uh, a, a biannual soon to be hopefully annual, uh, site specific, uh, and site adaptive theater festival out of the La Jolla playhouse in San Diego, La Jolla playhouse, which is part of UCSD. Uh, and the, you know, the stuff they show and program is not exclusively immersive, but I've seen some of the most beautiful immersive work I've ever seen out of their programming. Uh, and then there's also a lot of, you know, just, you know, large scale performance pieces, um, all sorts of varied stuff. So it's, it's always a, it's always a grab bag, uh, of which about usually uh, 25% to a third of which is really in our wheelhouse. And in this case, about, about, 25, 20 to 25% based on how you're counting was, was really in our wheelhouse. Uh, that being, there's a piece from Optica Moderna. Optica Moderna is the, uh, let's say the love child, uh, is the, is, yeah, why not, Ooh. of uh, David Israel Reynoso, <laughs> the, uh, who was one of the, I think the, like, one of the main set designers, one of the main designers, physical designers on Sleep No More. Costume. Costume, um, costume, yeah. yeah. Uh, so David was on costume for Sleep No More uh, back in the day, and is uh, Optica is uh, his shingle, and has just done is like they've done four pieces under that banner, uh, three of which were live and one of which was uh, shipped at home, and uh, the the first two live pieces, Waking La Llorona and Las Quinceaneras, uh, Quinceaneras. Uh, some of the most beautiful pieces of theater full stop I've ever seen. Um, and, and bonus immersive. Uh, there's a whole metaphor that Optic Moderna works inside of 
which is that uh, it is this kind of mystic uh, optometry office. Like that was like the onboarding process for the first one. And elements of that are maintained throughout all of the work. Lots of stuff around the eyes and what you're looking through objects and how you're seeing the world and, and a lot about limiting your field of view in order to focus on, on what's right in front of you. And in each piece, each of the four pieces, including the one that was sent home, uh, they've, they've played with that and played into that. This piece, Optica Pinata, uh, is the first piece they've done that was expressly designed uh, for families and with a focus on children. So the idea is that there is this, uh, there's a theater out there in the world called uh, Teatro Pinata, and you are invited into uh, this uh, uh, pinata decorated space. It's the back of a U-Haul. Uh, and you encounter one of Optica Moderna's specialists, one of their opt- optometrists. And they unveil through the space the story of, uh, of how these uh, children encountered Teatro Piñata uh, and were entrusted with telling stories through the magic of this, this theater that just like, appears on the full moon. Um, and it was just this most beautifully designed space. And the performer had this energy of telling, you know, of doing children's theater in this super engaging way. So like I slipped right into being a little kid in terms of my energy. And like the great tragedy was like the gal who was performing for me, like she could not see the, maniacal grin that was on my face because Aww. I was wearing a mask, of course. Uh, and there's there was a moment where like I had to crawl through something to like find something and that something uh, was personalized. And so there's all these little these little tiny moments of like exploration and discovery and just have this beautiful energy to it. And again, just this this density, like Unless you've been doing this for a while, you really don't know how much you can do with the back of a U-Haul. <laughs> like you can make some real magic in the back of a U-Haul. And they did, and they had these four U-Hauls like next to each other, and each one was running the same experience. So they were you were putting people through about every seven to ten minutes, someone else got to cycle through. And at the end of it, you were given a packet. And that packet is a manila envelope that contains uh, all that you need to build your own teatro pinata at home. And uh, there's a QR code that if you scan it, it lets you know uh, to to come back on the night of the full moon when there will be instructions. And so on the night of the full moon, I'm going to scan my app and put together what I got put together and read the zine that they gave me and see what the next stage of Teatro Pinata was. And I just sincerely hope, because this was a little pop-up, that when the full wow is happening next year, whether Optica Moderna has a piece or not, uh, that they, that they run this as well. Um, it's just, you know, it made eight hours of travel round trip. I mean, we, we took some detours, of course, uh, completely worth it. The, for those seven minutes, like I would not have traded the sunburn that I got. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that day sitting on the sun watching like the other performances i would not have traded that if it meant that i could not have seen optica pinata so um also uh i i forgot to put sunscreen on even though i had it so that's my fault <laughs> always i'm so jealous 
I'm so freaking jealous. Yeah. <laughs> it's truly like, like there's, there's a je ne sais quoi to the way I nearly did the Dr. Evil routine. Um, to, to what David puts into these pieces. It's the, it's the creation of, um, it's the creation of, uh, you know, the, the detail we get through, um, just, just, just opens up these whole worlds. Like it's so specific and it opens up in this big, 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 big way. Uh, and I just love it. Well, I think that's kind of looking through their, their website at some of the other shows they've done. I think, I imagine they brought the same kind of thing to it where it's this kind of intentionality and this really thoughtfulness behind the design and kind of it's these really stark kind of images that are clearly crafted like the sets and the kind of experience seems like so crafted in terms of what they're trying to portray and i know you mentioned he um the creator came from sleep no more which i think is is very similar and is 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 known for that so i think that's one of those things that's like really cool to see even if it is whether it's small scale in the back of a u-haul or a larger piece show um, yeah, it's always really important to right? kind of have that element. Like, like there's a lot about managing the attention of the audience. And in the first show, it was done. They they basically they took um, what was it the the Samsung Gear VRs? They took some of those, had like ripped out the lenses so you didn't want getting blinded, but like still use them. Like they put them on your head, and so you thought you were going to get a VR experience, but then they flipped it down. And you just were looking straight through it, but it acted as blinders that you like looked in the whole world through. And they, they kept that for, uh, Las Quinceaneras. Um, like they did a modified version of that. So there were times when your vision was occluded and other times when the thing was down and just by narrowing your field of vision, it narrowed your focus here. They didn't, they, they had you in goggles for a little bit of time. Uh, and they made a whole little show of like wiping them down, but it was really more about the way the storyteller, like an up optr- uh, optician, ophthalmologist, whatever, uh, was <laughs> was with you know those two things. Come on, we all know they like one's the one who gives you the thing, and the other one's gives you the eye drops. Um, uh, the way they manage your attention, you know, like doing the whole like you know, follow the light, all the sort of stuff, and just kind of almost like putting you into a trance, if you will. Um, and then showing you little things around the set that helped tell the story. And it all went, it all goes very quickly. It's only like seven minutes, but that, that feeling of having, of, of just like by saying yes and letting this person like take over your full attention, give them your full attention, that that is rewarded with little bits of wonder and surprise every step of the way. And then I had, I had one more question around this because we have Waking La Riona, Las Quintineras, and then Optica Pinata. Is it, are these all kind of tied into like Latin American culture, Latino culture? Is there any kind of like through line there? Because I think that's uh, it's something we don't really Ooh. have a lot of. Oh yeah. Here is like something so like based in a culture, especially in like, which is really surprising, I think, in the LA scene to not have something like this. Yeah, well, when it comes to, I mean, look, when it comes to immersive theater in Los Angeles, it is distressingly, at times, distressingly Caucasian. 
right? Yeah, like sure. we have a very like L- in in LA's theater scene is a lot more diverse than LA's immersive theater scene is. But LA's theater side has dropped a fidget spinner of all things that I found the other day. I'm very sorry, everybody. <laughs> 2017 called, and actually, I want to go back, but that's neither here nor there. Um, the uh, 2017 was not a great year, so like that says a lot about where we are. Um, you know, LA's theater scene is really theater theater scene is really balkanized, so it doesn't it doesn't it sadly doesn't shock me that the immersive theater scene has inherited a lot of that um but like there's there is some motion there was a there was a piece coming out of a boyle heights based theater uh earlier this year um i believe it's like underneath the freeways of los angeles and so that that touched on the on the history of that neighborhood uh and of east los angeles and that history is is actually very multicultural. Uh, so that's like, it's Latino, it's Jewish, it's, it's, uh, it's Japanese. Uh, and so it really kind of dealt with like post-war, um, the post-war era in that neighborhood and like the building of the freeways. Right. Um, and, and yet uh, you, you, you don't see those lines being crossed so much. Um, David is, is uh is is latino uh and he's working in san diego a place that has you know very strong culture and he's right in the heart right like he's expressing the the world that that uh he lives and knows and loves and he's you know one of the world-class talents at this and it's such a boon and a gift that we get to have that expression coming through him coming there in san diego i know a lot of people go from la down to check it out i long for the day that we can somehow lure it up like lure one of these pieces (laughs) up into los angeles yes please because i think it will you know the 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 magic of representation is that folks can then know that they can speak that they know that they can you know create in this idiom where maybe they thought they it was not for them before so like seeing someone create seeing a culture reflected and everybody you know, I'm from the Bay Area in the 90s. I firmly believe that everybody benefits when we have a plurality of voices creating in all these different mediums. Uh, I think that the core function, the secret of immersive and experiential is plurality. Uh, I think it's an art form of plurality. Um, I think it's, it's one that's immersive, I think, can can lend itself to so well too, because it I, it frequently creates and fosters more empathy as these things are either happening to you or to people who are right next to you, which is is something you can get on television or in theater, but I, it provides something else when it's like just so kind of in your face and kind of like allow access to a culture in that way that maybe you didn't have before. Well, I, I think there's also oh, go for it, Kevin. I only see a through line about 
David's Mexican heritage in all his work. And uh, I don't remember if it was Waking La Llorona or Las Quintianeras where he wanted to set aside low-cost tickets specifically for the community because he wanted to make sure that those people saw the work. So it's, it's, it's a two-way street, right? It's about yeah. making sure not only are we being inclusive in terms of the creators who are embracing immersive, but also the potential audience. Yeah, I think it may have been both. I know there definitely was some with uh, Waking La Verona, um, which started outside of, uh, it had a one, run at WOW, but it began before then. And I think I had an additional run afterwards. Um, and yeah, like it's, it's, it's interesting because there's so many, makes me think of like, there's some like, <laughs> there's like additional stuff we need to like get into the podcast feed. Like this idea of, it, it, it comes back a little bit to like the, the price thing we were talking about earlier, right? You know, who has access, who can afford to go, who, you know, what's going to sustain the artists, but also well, what's going to go for it, Kevin? Oh, I, I don't want to completely derail your point, but I mean, because Third hmm. Rail is doing something right now with their, um, remote show right where it's like you have the option to pay for like a more expensive ticket which helps supplement like lower right. income tickets right yeah pay it forward they're doing a pay it forward ticket. so there's like there's 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 like it's not quite pay what you can but there's a pay what you pay it forward element and like i mean in the sad, the sad truth of it is is like you know luckily there are people who will like choose that option and that's great and there's also plenty of people who would like never choose that option right you know like we're we're in an age that feels so disconnected from like communal, you know, collective concern. Although I do think that because of because of to some degree like the intimacy and the intensity of of certain immersive works, and because of I think Kevin to like what you were talking earlier about you know like the whole idea of you know, can foster empathy. And I think, I think it can, I don't think it's like an automatic thing. I think actually the actual route through to that is through the plurality of perspective. The fact that like two people go into one experience and have entirely different experiences, come out the other end, exchange notes and realize that the world in that, that fantasy world was much bigger than either of them realized and that that then maps on to the world as a whole and hopefully reminds you that the world itself is much bigger than you realize. That there's interiority everywhere and yeah. shifts you a little bit. Yeah, I think it's just in that sense, it's it's richer and more fertile ground in that sense. It's like, because I'm just thinking as you were talking though about all those times I went uh, here in Chicago, I've gone to a storefront black box base and the chairs are rickety and my 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 butt is like a foot below my inches somehow uh, below my knee somehow and i've paid 50 dollars for this and to ignore the people around me who are just gonna come and go without anything where i feel so much of immersive theater for maybe lack of a better word kind of forces or helps instigate 
the opportunity for all of us to really be aware, to really acknowledge we're in that space together and that we're aware of being like my presence of in the action of the story and with the performer, but just in relationship to the people around us and being mindful of them and engaging with them and allowing them to have moments or stuff. And I, I think that's where this conversation with this topic, I feel like that's the exciting part about immersive theater. And I think we should all, ho- I hope to, and you know, we all will continue to foster those opportunities for those uh, opportunities to occur. Yeah, and I think hopefully that continues and hopefully we have more diverse kind of stories, whether it's in LA or Chicago or VR, um, and hopefully kind of able to bring more creators in. And yeah, more, that it's like, yeah, there's there's more opportunity for, I think, inclusion and diversity, not earlier in the process, but like, I feel like, you know, once again, in a traditional theater proscenium structure it's like you got to jump through so many hoops for your art to be even considered a possibility to be read in a uh workshop experience which may or may not continue which then maybe they'll test audience it somewhere to then include it in the the of one of four shows experiences right like in the season for this the subscription and the uh, all its regular ticket holders where this is allows us to just get to that part faster is allows more opportunity for the work to just be instantly occurring rather than being funneled through the institution that has been established and is at this point decrepit and ancient and maybe one we shouldn't be using anymore. Well, I think you're, you're kind of getting onto another point there too, is I know saw this in the back of a U-Haul truck. This kind of opens up the kind of accessibility in different ways for, I think for creators to tell their stories. They don't have to like, get a stage or a certain kind of venue or whatever. Right. You can find, you can do it in a park, you can do it in a U-Haul, you can do it in, in bigger venues if you have access to them, but you can also do it in these kind of small intimate shows that like give access to people that don't normally have the opportunity to create large scale theater or even like mid or small scale theater at a black box. All right. I think this is probably a discussion we'll kind of resume here and there. Um, throughout the year as kind of one of our occurring ones that we, we kind of happen on to. Um, yeah, I think we've done like two of those in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've I mean, like a, Catherine do her bit. Yeah. It's a, it's a real loose episode. Yeah. Now we'll move on to the, uh, the kind of uh, gaming world connection to yeah, immersive yeah. theater with Catherine. So gosh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to situate this best. Uh, it's kind of a solo journaling LARP for one with tabletop elements. Um, so I've been going through something called a field, a field guide to memory. Uh, it's designed by Jiang Shim and Xing Yan Kor, along with a bunch of guest writers. And um, they've, they've also uh, kind of invented these genres because it's really, really difficult to describe what kind of game it is. Um, basically the framing is that your mentor is a beloved cryptid researcher Uh, Dr. Elizabeth Lee, who went out into the field and disappeared five years ago and has finally been declared dead. And you, as like the mentee person continuing on holding the torch, 
are trying to continue Dr. Lee's legacy and the actual activities that you're doing throughout the piece. Um, every day, there's a page in the PDF um, and it's all in the second person. So it's you wake up from a disturbing dream and it was about Dr. Lee. And then there might be a prompt for you to spend a hundred words or so in uh, your blank journal to describe maybe what you saw in that dream. And then the events of the story are unfolding in this PDF. And it's saying like, you did this and then you did that. And you tried to uh, contact the Institute where Dr. Lee worked and you're constantly getting stonewalled and you start to think that maybe there's foul play here. And at the same time, you're not necessarily you, um, you're a character. So you invent your name, your occupation, the uh, kind of biome that you live in, whether it's the mountains, a coastal town, uh, what your favorite animal is, which has been discovered, what your favorite cryptid is, which is an undiscovered animal, um, where you like to go camping, your thoughts about uh, cryptobiology, why do you want to work with the natural world, maybe you have pets or something. So you are physically writing down responses to all of the prompts in the experience in a physical journal. Sometimes they'll ask you to draw or to put in physical artifacts. So uh, one of the prompts is like to go out and find some leaves. Uh, a lot of people also will share their, their artifact after they've completed the game under the hashtag field guide to memory. Um, and it's, it's a pretty much on rails experience, but there are parts where, you know, you are literally customizing your relationship to Dr. Lee and who you, your character is, and maybe what your memories of Dr. Lee are or what your goals are. Um, sometimes they'll give you like a little branch, like choose one of the options below. For example, what occupation did you take that kind of started your crypto biology career? Um, sometimes there's like a coin flip. So, you know, such and such character wrote you, flip a coin to see if you're going to write back. Uh, if it's heads, go back to your journal and do X, Y, Z thing. Um, and then for some of the folks who bought into the higher tier in their Kickstarter, you actually get um, an envelope of a bunch of the ephemera. And I was lucky enough to borrow it from someone I know. And I'm kind of like, got it all spread out in, in the coffee table uh, in front of me. There's something that looks like a keychain. It says Bigfoot Burlesque Portland, Oregon. There's a business card. There's some Polaroids. There's a ton of nature postcards, know your rodents, um, a haiku about weird rats. There's even a cocktail napkin from the Bigfoot bar. And I just found it to be really interesting, kind of LARP and kind of tabletop, but also this embodied experience because you're helping to create the story as you go along. And then the other thing that's super interesting about it is when you finish the game, you have this artifact and only you have that version of the game because it's your character, your choices, your memories that you've constructed of your relationship between you as like this aspiring scientist and the doctor and, and uh, Dr. Elizabeth Lee. And then your fight against the Institute for Theoretical Evolutions, who really doesn't want you to like do investigation as to what happened to Dr. Lee. So I've, I've got a couple of questions. The first one is, what did you say your favorite cryptid was? Um, you know, I 
I, uh, I, I kind of went just kind of like lame. I was like, oh, I'm just going to mash together like a cat and a cow, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I did try to figure out what kind of scientist I thought I might be. So I was thinking someone who like studies mods. And I figured out the scientific word for that and I absolutely cannot pronounce it. But my name is Lena and I have a cat and I study mods. Nice. And I think, so I, I think this caught my attention a couple of months ago, when it, more than a couple of months ago, it looks like it came out in February. And I think I had the, I, I almost thought about backing it, but I was running the same thing where it's like, I just don't, journaling and kind of that creative writing element is not something um, I, I come to very easily. So I, <laughs> I, I get your struggles there. Um, but part of it, it, it almost struck out, like stood out as kind of like a, like a box game of sorts. And, and most of the box games are based around puzzles and things like that do you kind of get that feel from having all that that ephemera like laid out in front of you or oh yeah i mean the the core construct is there's a mystery mm -hmm. you don't know where your mentor disappeared to while doing field research um and so your job is to try to figure out what happened to dr lee and i think in terms of like the creative writing prompts they're pretty small so it's like write an entry that's a hundred words and incorporates the desert and this type of animal and it's raining and describe your dream in a hundred words. And because they've given you just some, something to like jump off of, I think that really helps. Um, at some point you're like, oh, uh, here's the three jobs that maybe you took at the beginning of your career. And then like option D is like, or make up something else. So that, idea of like this page is blank i don't know what to do the designers are trying to give you things to work with and if you don't want to do that you can but it is really helpful to constrain it in that way particularly around like the word count well and to, to jump in really quick is that com legitimately completely by accident we only talked about it mere minutes before recording i'm actually doing um, Shims, the shape of shadows right now. The, this is an experience. I'm getting the emails on the prescribed days. I'm woefully behind, but that is of my <laughs> own fault. That is of no reflection of the work that is uh, I'm being sent. And I, I would say in regards to like kind of the creative aspect, I think those prompts, I think Catherine, you might be underselling it because I'm like, uh, like, because when I think you people hear like the word you're prompted, it's like, you know, you're a scientist you're a police officer, you're, you know, whatever. Like, these are, like, really kind of, like, at least the ones, and mine is about the the Shape of Shadows is basically almost, Catherine, what you, you've you described, but it's about magic, and your mm -hmm. magician mentor has uh, 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 seemingly disappeared, it seems. Um, but the prompts of, like, are, are very pro provocative and engaging imagery that really, like, makes you think like they're they're rich choices to be made that you know that in many ways like where while you are welcome to to incorporate your own ideas into it like the ideas that are presented are, are really palpable and really exciting i'm like ooh, because i in many ways i can't wait to do this experience and then almost immediately started again making different choices in in that manner and make a bold thing and just how see how easily i can create something new off these prompts 
Yeah, definitely. And you would have some sort of artifact at the end, right, that would reflect that second playthrough where you made different choices and you went down different paths. And maybe you don't, maybe you had more energy in one of them or less energy or your character was different or you were just feeling different. Yeah, exactly. And like, I, I think what another thing that has really intrigued me about this kind of like medium is also, I, I, I know Noah is, you know, a big, has done and not sure if you are doing role playing right now, but we've, you know, we've, I think we've all to a certain degree probably done role playing and a tabletop yeah. Dungeons and Dragons setting to a certain degree. I'm going to presume for you, Catherine and Kevin, but like, I, I really, in this moment right now for me of, the pandemic and not being able to connect with my usual cohort of players to engage in a space together to have a, a role-playing journey where I don't know what's going to happen next. This experience is really rich and really engaging because of that as well. Uh, because I, I don't know what the next email is going to be. I don't know because that's almost getting these emails every day is like, oh, I can't wait for the other player to say something for me to go yes and to and keep building upon it. And I think it's really cool that this exists. Yeah, we should probably back up for a second and say that like um, for these two creators in particular, um, there was like the quote unquote live version where you would get that communication uh, once a day, like day one, day two, day three. And then if you come to it after the fact, at least for Field Guide to Memory, you could still purchase the PDF that has all of those days in a designed kind of fashion. Um, I know Field Guide to Memory is available on itch. I'm guessing that the one that you're playing, Patrick, will be available after the quote-unquote live thing is over. Correct. So yes, as of recording, I am doing whether whether one could argue what the intended manner of doing this experience is. I, I am doing it in a very different fashion than what you are right now. And it's nice because if you don't have time, you don't feel like, oh, I'm going to miss out. I'm going to be like, I mean, clearly you are falling a little bit behind, but it doesn't feel like, you know, the story's going to expire all of a sudden. Yeah. Or, or I'm wasting someone else's time by being slow to respond to an email or acknowledge its presence. Right. Like, and I, and that's, what's nice is cause like, you know, I feel like sometimes in the in the before times if we can all remember like some days like with my day job it's like oh my god that meeting ran long so then i'm stuck at the office and then i'm i gotta go review a show and i'm rushing to get there and yeah i'll take a just a sandwich to go and eat it in the lobby like the 15 minutes before the experience and then do the experience where with this with this whether i guess it's you're doing it all together at your pace or doing it at your pace when you get the emails daily is that I enjoy that. Like, it's like, I get to have that moment of intention. I'm sitting down to do this. I'm sitting down to engage, to be mindful. This has my focus and my attention and I can prepare myself for it. I can have that time to make sure I'm committing everything I can rather than it maybe just being a thing that I have to do. So I guess my question for you is, so I know for the one I'm doing, Field Guide to Memory, there's a lot of really interesting ephemera that's kind of embedded into the game as letters, documentation, postcards, journal entries. Um, particularly for this one, uh, Dr. Lee had a lot of contact with kids who were super into nature. And so there's like, um, like 
postcards and, and letters from little kids like, Dear Dr. Lee, I am Katerina. I am six years old. I read your essay in library. I like bugs and creatures too. I want to learn more about them like you. And you know, like half of it's misspelled. And how many creatures are there? What's your favorite one? How old are you? I am six. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that is all of it's there, at least for maybe, well, I don't know whether it's sh uh, the shape of shadows in particular or whatever. It, it does seem to be more visually based. There is some like a, a drawn experience. There's some visual imagery that's been clearly drawn and is original and is built into the world. And there are definitely like text in the narrative of where it's definitely like there are other characters and there's other people and things. I think the issue is maybe getting it daily via email as a prompt is it's I think there's no beautiful text. Like when, when there is a note from like someone, it's simply maybe italicized or it's put in quotes or something uh, in, in a few of the places I've seen it. I, I've only done a week's worth of mine, uh, as I said. So I, I wonder, I am excited because I believe in kickstarting this. I'm going to get ultimately what you have, Catherine, is <laughs> some kind of complete package. And I am excited also to maybe compare the, email presentation the actual practical font choices and placement of text and imagery to what it might be when it's just a, a whole page like this page is this day and it has everything placed maybe in a more intentional and specific way and i'm excited to see that oh yeah definitely um but it's 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 kind of a just it's just a very long email i guess mm -hmm. not not to it's a great long <laughs> email but but that way. <laughs> yeah yeah it, it's it is a little manageable sense but then it's just like oh this is just like i'm scrolling i'm scrolling i'm scrolling this is a long email this is a long work email to get through <laughs> yeah. you guys you guys maybe had me up until that <laughs> and then i was like oh <laughs> Well, the, the one that yeah, I have is much more designed, I think. Yeah, so I, I'd be, I'm, I'm curious. That's why I said I'd be very curious to revisit this experience, just even myself, not not even even here as a check-in later. But like, I, I'm excited to see what that final package is too. I'm curious to see, because I think that's also interesting how this tabletop solo journal artifact creation experience is when it's being given to you daily in a very traditional bland manner, for lack of a better word, for just an email versus the intentionally designed complete package at your, to do at your leisure. Yeah. yeah. The one, one of the things that really strikes me and like, I definitely notice this when I'm playing a game is do the characters have like a favorite pen and does their handwriting always look different? Like you don't want the same handwriting font for, every mm. single character in the same video game. And here I can tell that like six-year-old Katarina was written by someone else and eight-year-old Vib was written by like yet another person. And then like Elizabeth's handwriting is like consistent. So like one of the creators, like this is their handwriting because they are Elizabeth. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. So and kind of a continuing theme through kind of all of these experiences. How is this one like family friendly or kid friendly? Cause it seems like some of the other shows we've done are, are more, open to, to like a wider age range than we we normally probably chat about? Um, I feel like 
Mine mentions like blood. The Shape of Shadows yeah. mentions blood, but not in a gory way. It's like you see a vial full of blood. Like there, there's. I think it's more. Maybe it's more teen appropriate. Like I would not give this to an elementary school student, but I don't know where Catherine is. It's hers. But right now, I would maybe say high schooler, a high schooler who's looking to do something creative and original and outside the box would probably dig this. Mm-hmm. I think for mine specifically, because there's this like nonprofit that you're fighting against. I, some of the some of the auto responses you get back from the institute. I think would be would just like go over someone's head if they weren't really into it and like sophisticated enough to like try to read behind the between the lines. Gotcha. All right, and I think uh, that's probably a, a good place to uh, start wrapping up today's show. I think Patrick and Catherine will probably maybe when you guys finish, we can uh, have you back on and kind of get some final thoughts on both of those experiences. Awesome. Thank you. Um, before we. And does anyone have any kind of closing arguments for their show for pick of the week? I think we're, I think we're in a, in a good position. All right. Um, all right. Yeah. All right. So thank you all for chatting with me this week. We'll be back next week uh, in the Discord channel and your podcast feed. And we'll see you then.